You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome to Wise Guys. These guys know sports here live on the Worldwide Sports Network on this beautiful Tuesday, October the 4th on the Wise Guys Sports Show with the Worldwide Sports Network. Come on in and stay a while, folks. You're here with your boy Trey Larkins. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Man, it is another week here on the Wise Guys Sports Show. Uh, witnessed a great NFL week for this previous weekend. I saw the Packers beat the Patriots 27 to 24 in a nail biter at Lambeau Field. I was sweating Sunday afternoon. I got to be honest, but the Packers prevailed. Over the Patriots, we're going to talk about that matchup here in a bit. Also, we're going to talk about Patrick Mahomes beating Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, 41-31. to And also, we're going to talk about Baker Mayfield. Is his career in jeopardy? Baker Mayfield's got off to a slow start this season. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later on the show as well. And also, I'm going to talk about the Miami Dolphins and their decision to play Two attacking Viloa in Thursday night's matchup against the Cincinnati Bengals. Again, if you want to call into the show, 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655 is the number to dial. Call to the show. If you want to talk about your particular team, if you're upset with your team, if you're happy with your team, you know, some teams in the NFL that are that are playing some great football right now. I know Eagles fans are happy because the, the Philadelphia Eagles are 4-0 to start. The season, they are number one on the NFL power rankings. So Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni, they're doing their thing up there in Philly. So Eagles fans, you want to call into the show? I know they're feeling real good right now. And then you got Rams fans who are disappointed because their Rams are 2-2 two and two and fresh off winning a Super Bowl. So they're a little bit disappointed. And that's actually where we're going to begin the show. Tonight is in San Francisco as it was an NFC West battle between the L.A. Rams and the San Francisco 49ers. The 49ers beat the L.A. Rams 24-9 to in the Bay for the Rams. Matthew Stafford, he went 32-48. of 48. He had 254 passing yards. No touchdowns, one interception. It was a pick six. Jimmy Garoppolo, he went 16-27. of 27. He had 239 passing yards, one touchdown, zero interception. So, so far, everyone's been talking about the L.A. Rams and their struggles this season, you know, through four games, they are two and two on the season. In week one, we saw Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills put a beat down on Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford in L.A. 31 to 10. And then in week two and three, the Rams, they beat the Falcons 31 to 27. But that was a game where the Falcons came back in that game at one point. In that game, the Rams were up 21-3 to over the Atlanta Falcons, and the Falcons had an opportunity to win that game late in L.A. against the defending Super Bowl champs. Falcons outscored the Rams 17-3 in the fourth quarter of that game, but the Rams escaped with a 31-27 win, and then in week three, they beat the Cardinals, but I don't have many expectations for the Cardinals this year. They beat the Cardinals 20 to 12. But yesterday, I thought that the LA Rams 
had a very, very disappointing performance on Monday Night Football. And if you are a Rams fan, I believe you should be concerned as you watch that game. Because first and foremost, the biggest issue with this L.A. Rams team is the fact that they are one-dimensional. Because they have no running game to speak of. Last night against the San Francisco 49ers, the Rams, they had 57 rushing yards for the entire game. And they have running backs like Henderson and Akers. They combined to only get 57 rushing yards, which means the entire game is on Matthew Stafford. Whether or not you win or lose, it is depending on how Matthew Stafford plays. And Matthew Stafford is a good quarterback, but I don't think Matthew Stafford is an elite quarterback that can carry your team to victory like a Tom Brady, like an Aaron Rodgers, like a Patrick Mahomes. That's not who Matthew Stafford is. I believe in order for Matthew Stafford in the L.A. Rams to be successful, they have to establish a running game and have a reliable rushing attack with Cam Makers and Daryl Henderson. And right now they just don't have it. And I thought the 49ers, they knew exactly what was coming defensively playing the Rams last night. That's why you saw late in the fourth quarter, you saw the 49ers able to pick off Matthew Stafford and take it to the house. I thought that was impressive because you look at in that matchup on that play, Taloa Hafunga, he's the safety for the 49ers. He read the play that Sean McVay was running for Cooper Cup. And that's actually why I have an issue with even more so than Matthew Stafford, because Matthew Stafford, he didn't have a great performance last night. So he, he deserves some of the blame. But majority of the blame has to go on the shoulders of Sean McVay. And by the way, in the regular season, Kyle Shanahan owns Sean McVay. Kyle Shanahan is 7-0 against Sean McVay. Now, Sean McVay did beat Kyle Shanahan in the game that mattered the most in the NFC Championship game last year. But you look at this Rams offense so far this season. Matthew Stafford, he got one touchdown pass, five turnovers, four of those five turnovers are interceptions. He's been sacked 14 times. That's Matthew Stafford in the two losses so far this season for the LA Rams. One touchdown pass, five total turnovers, four of which are interceptions, and 14 sacks. So right now, this Rams offense is not flowing at an elite level. Also, I believe Sean McVay has to do a better job at being able to scheme open Allen Robinson. What was the point in the Rams going and getting Allen Robinson in free agency? They have not utilized Allen Robinson so far since he's been with the LA Rams. These are Allen Robinson's numbers this year. He got 95 receiving yards, nine receptions for one touchdown. That's it. That is it. And then you look at overall the Rams offense. This is Matthew Stafford this season 
when targeting receivers. He's targeted Cooper Cup 54% of the time. His completion percentage is 78%. He has 402 passing yards to Cooper Cup, three touchdowns. The other receivers for the Rams, 41 targets, 63 completion percentage, 278 total passing yards, one touchdown. That tells you everything you need to know about the L.A. Rams right now and why they are not a good football team. We've been talking about whether or not the L.A. Rams need Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham now is not going to be a luxury for the L.A. Rams. Odell Beckham is going to be a necessity for the L.A. Rams in order to be Super Bowl contenders. Because right now, this L.A. Rams offense is not flowing at an elite level. You only have Matthew Stafford to depend on. And then in the passing game, the only receiver that Matthew Stafford trusts is Cooper Cup. You have to get the ball to your other playmakers in this offense. And that is on Sean McVay. That's a Sean McVay issue. and something that he has to improve on. You got Allen Robinson. You got Ben Skyrenet at receiver as well. You got Tyler Higby at tight end. He's a formidable tight end. He's not elite like Kittle or like Waller or like Kelsey. But Higby can produce in the passing game for Matthew Stafford. So I believe the Rams and their fans should be concerned. They're a one-dimensional football team right now. And that was the reason why they lost the game last night. That was the biggest reason why they lost the game last night. They have to get better. Now, I want to switch gears and talk about that San Francisco 49ers defense because we haven't given enough credit to San Francisco 49ers defensive coordinator, DeMarco Ryan. He's been sensational for the 49ers. And I believe right now, DeMarco Ryan's, he's the best defensive coordinator right now in the NFL. He has this 49ers defense playing at an all-time high level. You look at their numbers so far this season. Opponents, points per game. They're averaging only 11.5 points per game. That's ranked first in the NFL. Opponents, yards per game. They are averaging 235 yards per game. That's tied for first in the NFL. They have 58 pressures. That's ranked second in the NFL. And the 49ers defense got 15 sacks. That's ranked second in the NFL. They got seven sacks, 17 pressure against the Rams alone. Seven sacks, 17 pressures against the Rams alone. So I can't say enough about D'Amico Ryans and the job that he's doing with that 49ers defense. They are flying around, playing at an elite level. And when you got players like Nick Bosa, like Fred Warner, like Arik Armstead, who was out last night, and they still were dominant, I believe this positions the 49ers to be a Super Bowl contender in the NFC. Now, everyone knows as a Packers fan, the 49ers are the last team that I want to see in the playoffs because the 49ers have been the Packers kryptonite. For whatever reason, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, they can't beat the 49ers in the playoffs. So as a Packers fan, I don't want no parts of the 49ers. But it's undeniable how elite this 49ers defense is right now and how overall as a team, if the 49ers can get decent quarterback play from Jimmy Garoppolo, 
then they can beat Super Bowl contenders. I don't believe they can win a Super Bowl with Jimmy G. I think the ceiling is higher with Trey Lance than it is currently with Jimmy Garoppolo. But they got to the NFC Championship game last year. And in previous years, we saw this 49ers team get to the Super Bowl and was one quarter away from winning a Super Bowl. So they have the capabilities of being a Super Bowl contender. The only questions that we have about the 49ers is Jimmy Garoppolo. That's it. That's the only question that we got about the 49ers. Everything else about the 49ers is elite. They got Debo Samuel. They got Jawan Jennings. They got Brandon Ayuk, who's a nice receiver in his own right. And then at tight end, you got George Kittle, a top two tight end in the NFL. And I love their offensive line. They're going to get back Trent Williams at some point this season. They got Aaron Banks up front. You got Jake Brendel, Spencer Buford at right guard. They got one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, and they punch you in the mouth. That's why I love this 49ers team besides when they play the Packers because when you watch them play football, they are a physical football team. Demo Samuel and George Kittle, they're not trying to run around you. They're trying to run through you, okay? They ain't trying to run around you. They're trying to run literally through you. We saw last night Debo Samuel. He got loose for a 57-yard touchdown reception. Sparked that crowd out there in San Francisco. Gave that 49ers team life. And I thought that was the biggest play of the game. Overall, for the 49ers, last night, Debo he had, I think, arguably his best game of the season so far. Six receptions, 115 receiving yards, one touchdown. And then that 57-yard catch and run, Jalen Ramsey had no chance in the open field against Debo Samuel. He had no chance in hell at being able to tackle Debo Samuel in the open field. I love seeing Debo Samuel and Cooper Cup exchange jerseys at the end of the game. Game respects game. Love seeing that. But for whatever reason, in a regular season, Kyle Shanahan, he has Sean McVay's number. And for the Rams to defend their Super Bowl crown and get back to a Super Bowl, they're going to have to improve offensively. They're going to have to get better. But again, I think this game was about the 49ers in that elite defense. That, that 49ers defense is elite. Call to the show, 513-203-8655, 513-203-8655. Five, five. Before I move on to my next topic, I will say this. I do believe that these are the two best teams in the NFC West by far. I know the NFC West right now, all the teams are two and two, including the Seattle Seahawks with Geno Smith. But make no mistake about it. The NFC West is going to be won by either the L.A. Rams or the San Francisco 49ers, period. Let's transition. To my NFL week four recap. By the way, last week of my wise picks, I went 10 and 5. So those were my, that was my record last week. So that was the same record that I had the previous week. So the past two weeks, I've went 20 and 10 in my weekly wise picks. Gotta improve on that. I would love to get to 13 and 2, maybe even 12 and 3. But I'll take 10 and 5 and I'll take 20 and 10 over the last two weeks from our NFL Weekly Wise Picks. And my question of the day for tonight is, did John Harbaugh make the right decision to go for a touchdown instead of kicking a go-ahead field goal? 
Call to the show, 513-203-8655, 513-203-8655. Do you believe that John Harbaugh made the right decision to go for touchdown instead of kicking a go-ahead field goal? We're going to discuss it here shortly. Here is the voting results on the Wise Guys Twitter page. 60% of people say that John Harbaugh made the right decision to go for the touchdown instead of kicking a go-ahead field goal, and 40% say no. The Bills beat the Ravens 23-20 to in Baltimore. For the Bills, Josh Allen went 19 of 36, 213 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception. For the Ravens, Lamar Jackson, he went 20 of 29. He had 144 passing yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. So everyone's talking about John Harbaugh's decision to go for a touchdown instead of kicking a field goal on the last possession for the Ravens. And honestly, I believe John Harbaugh made a mistake because in that moment, you have to take the points. You have to show your defense that you believe in them to stop Josh Allen with the three-point lead. I think if you are that Ravens defense and you see John Harbaugh make this type of decision, it would let me know that he does not believe in our defense. And I understand why he doesn't believe in their defense because this Ravens defense so far this season has been one of the worst defenses in the NFL. Don't forget, they gave up a 21-point lead to the Miami Dolphins in Week 2. They gave up a 17-point lead to the Buffalo Bills in this same game. So I understand why John Harbaugh feels like he needs to score a go-ahead touchdown and go up seven over the Bills instead of only being up three points. I get it. But I still think he made the right decision. Everyone's criticizing John Harbaugh, but I do want everyone to understand why he made this decision. He doesn't trust his defense. And honestly, given what we've seen in the first four games of the season, I wouldn't trust them either. They have been awful. They made two attacking by Loa in week two look like a Hall of Fame quarterback. And then Sunday, they allowed the Buffalo Bills to come back from a 17-point deficit. At halftime, the Ravens were beating the Bills 20-10. to 10. So they were still up 10 points even at halftime. But at one point in this game, it was 20-3. to 3. And that Ravens defense allowed Josh Allen and company to overcome a 17-point deficit. And that's one thing that I've noticed about the Ravens. The, these aren't your father's Ravens. I'm used to the Ravens' strength of their team being their defense. Remember when they had Ray Lewis, they had Ed Reed, they had Terrell Suggs? That was the strength of their team, and they just didn't want Joe Flacco to mess it up. That was, a, that was the way the Ravens won games. They wanted Joe Flacco to make a play here and there late in games but don't mess up the game and allow the defense to win the game for the Ravens. That is no longer the case 
with today's Ravens. This Baltimore Ravens team is led by Lamar Jackson in that offense. The offense is the strength of the team, and the defense is the weakness of the team. That's why you saw John Harbaugh choose to score a go-ahead touchdown instead of kicking a go-ahead field goal because he didn't trust that that Baltimore Ravens defense could come up with a stop on the last possession against Josh Allen and company. That was the biggest issue and why he made this decision. If Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, and Terrell Suggs were still playing for the Ravens and they were in their prime, I don't believe John Harbaugh would have went for it on fourth down. He would have kicked a go-ahead field goal and went up 23-20. to 20. Defensive coordinator Mike McDonald, him and that group for the Ravens defense got to get it together. They have to improve. Now, it sounds like I am supporting John Harbaugh's decision to go for it on fourth down. I am not. I still think he made a mistake because you have to take the points in that moment because if you take the points and you go up 23-20, it's not a guarantee that Josh Allen and the Bills offense is going to score. Now, I know all season long, Ravens defense, again, has been awful. But Josh Allen could throw an interception. They could have a mishap in the exchange from the center to the quarterback, and Josh Allen could fumble. It could be a fumble by the running back. Anything could happen. But when you go for it on fourth down, and then you allow the Bills to intercept Lamar Jackson, and they get the ball off the 25 instead of the two-yard line, then you are in trouble. And I think that's also what John Harbaugh was thinking. He was thinking that even if we don't convert on fourth down, they have to go 98 yards for a touchdown and probably, I would say, 50 yards to get in, in, you know, in field goal range. I think he was thinking we'll have them backed up in their own territory, and it's a possibility if we get three straight stops, we can get the ball back with great field position, and Justin Tucker can kick a walk-off game-winning field goal. That was what John Harbaugh was thinking. I've talked myself into understanding why he made the decision right here live on the show. I get it. I still think you take the points in that moment because in order for the Ravens to be true Super Bowl contenders, their defense has to improve. And I think this was an opportunity for John Harbaugh, even if he doesn't believe in his defense, to give them an opportunity to win some of that confidence back from their head coach. And I think he stripped them of that opportunity by going forward on fourth down. And then to make matters worse, which I believe, I honestly think that Lamar Jackson throwing the interception was worse even than Harbaugh's decision because the interception gives the Bills the football at the 25-yard line opposed to being at the two-yard line and backed up into their own territory to where if you don't get a first down, Ravens going to get the ball back with great field position with an opportunity to win the game. If you kick the go-ahead field goal, you know Tucker is going to make the field goal, and they're going to win the game more than likely. But you give yourself a chance because at, at that point, if you're up three, even if the Bills – put together a drive, if you can stop them 
on third down, you force them to have to kick a game time field goal. So again, I understand John Harbaugh's decision here. I get it all the way, but again, I do think you have to give your defense a chance in that moment. I don't give a damn about the analytics. I, I know analytics say go for it there. No, no, I don't. I don't care about no analytics. Some analytics ain't winning football games. I don't. I don't care. You got to make the right decision. Also, when I look at this game, I believe this was a big win for the Buffalo Bills coming into the season. The Buffalo Bills were contenders, not only in the AFC East, but in the AFC overall. And they were many experts picked to make the Super Bowl out of the AFC. You look at how they started off the season. They dominated the defending Super Bowl champs in L.A., 31-10 in week one. Then in week two, they followed that week one performance up with a dominating performance over the Tennessee Titans, 41 to 7. Week three, they lost a nail biter to the Miami Dolphins down in South Beach, 21 to 19. So, as great as their first two weeks was, if you lose to the Baltimore Ravens through the first quarter of the season, the Buffalo Bills would have been two and two. An average football team, just like everyone else. So, I think this was an important win for the Buffalo Bills and their confidence moving forward also this was a great win for the bills because the ravens are going to be one of those teams that the bills are going to have to compete against for home field advantage in the playoffs and i believe that the bills have the best home field advantage in the afc because if you have to go up to buffalo in january in five and ten degree weather Teams like the Miami Dolphins are going to struggle in that type of climate in January. The Miami Dolphins are a warm weather football team. And I think they would struggle having to play in Buffalo in January. Same with the LA Chargers. LA Chargers are a warm weather football team. So if the Buffalo Bills can secure the number one seed in the AFC and have the role to the Super Bowl, have to go through Buffalo, I think that is a recipe for the Buffalo Bills to get to the Super Bowl this season. Force Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Tua Tagovailoa, force those opposing quarterbacks to have to come to Buffalo and face Josh Allen in the snow in January. So I think this is a great win for the Buffalo Bills for multiple reasons. For the Baltimore Ravens, they can't close games. It's that simple. They gave up a 21-point lead to the Miami Dolphins in week two. They got outscored 28-3 to in the fourth quarter of that game. And then in this game, in the second half, Baltimore Ravens didn't even score a touchdown or a field goal. They got outscored 13-0 in the second half they start off games very well they were up 35 to 14 over the miami dolphins in the first three quarters of that game in this game they were up 20 to 10 over the bills at halftime and they got completely outplayed in the second half they do not finish football games and i think they have to keep their foot on the gas pedal when they have leads defensively you know they're going to give up points at some point. 
for whatever reason, their defense, again, is not very good. So if you're if you know that your offense is the strength of your team, then you have to have Lamar Jackson be able to stop the bleeding and engineer a six, seven, eight, nine drive to at least be able to put up a field goal, at least be able to put up a field goal. So I, that's my biggest takeaway from this game. Ravens, they don't close games and the Bills big time win major playoff implications on this game. Call to the show, 513-203-8655, 513-203-8655. Give me your thoughts on the Bills beating the Ravens 23-20 in Baltimore. Let's transition to a matchup at Lambeau Field Sunday afternoon in Green Bay. The Packers beat the Patriots 27-24. Bailey Zapp, the quarterback that was inserted because of Hoyer going out with the concussion. He went 10 of 15, 99 yards, one touchdown for the Packers. Aaron Rodgers, he went 21 of 35. He threw for 251 passing yards, two touchdowns. He did have an interception that was returned back for a touchdown in this game. So how should Packer fans feel after this game? Honestly, it made me, as a Packers fan, lower my expectations for the Packers offensively this season because I know the Packers put up 27 points in this game. I know offensively overall, the Packers, they had 443 total yards of offense. I know the Packers also had 199 rushing yards between Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. But the reason why I'm going to lower my expectations for the Packers offense is because in previous years, this game that was played at Lambeau Field by a third-string quarterback on the opposing team, this was a game in previous years that as a Packers fan, I watched and we blew out teams like the New England Patriots in previous years. In previous years, this would have been a blowout. Packers would have beaten this team 31-10, to 31-13, maybe even 31-17. It would have been at least a two-touchdown victory for the Green Bay Packers in previous years. That's why, for me as a Packers fan, I have to lower my expectations for the Packers offense. That doesn't mean that the Packers offense won't improve as the season goes along. What that means is through the first four games of the season, this Packers offense, it looks different, and they're not as explosive this season like they have been in previous years. So I'm watching this game, and I was waiting for the moment for the Packers to take off on the Patriots and run the score up on the Patriots. It did not happen. This was a competitive football game. All five quarters. It was competitive. And again, I'm glad that the Packers won because one of the things that I always hear NFL coaches talk about is how they want to be able to teach in moments where they win football games. You don't want to have to teach and you're losing games because as a season goes along, at some point you're going to have players who check out because they're going to realize the chances of us going to the playoffs are slim. 
So this guy isn't making any sense. Let's go ahead and start making vacation plans for when the offseason comes. But when you win play, when you win games in the regular season and you're learning as you go along, it gives you confidence moving forward because you know we're going to be a playoff team. So things are going to improve as the season goes along. And I think it will because there were flashes in this game where I thought the Packers receivers showed promise, especially Romeo Dobbs. In this game, Romeo Dobbs, he went five receptions, 47 receiving yards, one touchdown. Alan Lazar, he had six receptions, 116 receiving yards, had a crucial third down catch in the third quarter of this game. And then Romeo Dobbs in the fourth quarter, late, late, he had an opportunity to catch the go-ahead game-winning touchdown pass. Aaron Rodgers put it on him on the right side of the field, up the sideline. Romeo Dobbs did everything right but complete the catch. Reminded me of Des Bryant's catch in the playoffs in 2016, I believe, when the Cowboys were at Lambeau Field in a major, major playoff game. And the pass was called incomplete. And honestly, I thought it was a catch. I knew Dez had caught the football and was trying to reach across the goal line. It was a touchdown catch in my book, but they ruled it incomplete because they say you have to complete the process of the catch. And that's what happened in this particular play with Romeo Dobbs. Caught the pass from Aaron Rodgers, tucked the football, but he could not complete the catch as he went to the ground. And Packers ended up having to punt, and the game went on to overtime. But I thought in the overtime, Aaron Rodgers, he still threw the ball to Romeo Dobbs. Dobbs had two crucial catches on the Packers' last possession when they kicked the game-winning field goal. So I hear all these experts, specifically Colin Cowherd on FS1, who I got a lot of respect for as a sports analyst. I love the job that he does for Fox Sports. He's a great sports broadcaster. But he's been talking about how Aaron Rodgers, he basically tunes out young receivers when they make mistakes. He doesn't keep them involved in the offense. And I couldn't disagree with Colin Moore because in this game, in overtime, Aaron Rodgers still threw the ball to Romeo Dobbs at critical moments of the football game. So even though Dobbs dropped Aaron Rodgers' game when he touchdown pass, he still gave him opportunities to make plays in overtime. This narrative that Aaron Rodgers just ignores young receivers once they make mistakes and doesn't involve them in the offense is false. It's a false narrative. I really wish Colin Cowherd would quit saying that because it's wrong. It's not the reality. In this game, Aaron Rodgers did throw his 500th career touchdown pass. He became the fifth player in NFL history with at least 500 touchdown passes. I think Brett Favre was on that list. Obviously, Drew Brees and Tom Brady are at the top of that list. Specter and Rodgers to climb that ladder on that list as his career goes along. But uh, I think Packers fans should should feel optimistic because that's how I feel. I'm optimistic about the Packers moving forward. You look at so far this season, their receiving core and their numbers this year. Romeo Dobbs leads the way, 19 receptions, 184 receiving yards. 
Al Lazard, 12 receptions, 174 receiving yards. Randall Cobb, who's having a great bounce back season, 10 receptions, 150 receiving yards, turning back that clock. Sammy Watkins, who's been on IR, six receptions, 111 receiving yards. Christian Watson, six receptions, 51 receiving yards. So as the season goes along, I expect some of these young receivers like Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs to improve and get on the same page with Aaron Rodgers. One of the one of the positives for the Packers is they have a great rushing attack with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. In this game, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon had 199 rushing yards combined. And I believe they are the strength of this Packers offense. It's the rushing attack. So if they can establish the running game with Dillon, with Jones, and the defense can play good defense throughout the season and prove as the season goes along, I think the Packers are true contenders in the NFC. I really, really do. Now, so far this season, defensively, besides week three, the Packers haven't been challenged. Now, week one, they did go up against the, the Minnesota Vikings and Kirk Cousins, and I think that Kirk Cousins-led offense is elite. They got great skill position players in Adam Thielen, in Justin Jefferson, and they got Dalvin Cook in the backfield, and Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback. So I think week one and week three, the Packers' defense was challenged. Week three, Buccaneers also didn't have none of their receivers in that game. So Tom Brady was throwing the receivers who are not very good, and they're not going to be involved in the offense as the season goes along. But that just shows you how loaded the Bucs are. But I think the Packers' defense will improve as the season goes along. They got the Giants this week, so Dave Jones isn't very good. They won't be challenged in that game. But later on in the season, they got the Cowboys. So they'll have to go up against either Cooper Rush or Dak Prescott. They're going to face the Minnesota Vikings one more time. They still got the Detroit Lions. We see how elite that Detroit Lions offense is with Jared Goff. I can't believe I'm saying it, but that Detroit Lions offense is elite. Put up 45 points against the Seattle Seahawks, but that defense isn't very good. So the Packers defense is going to be challenged as the season goes along. As for the Patriots moving forward, I said it before the season. I don't believe the Patriots are a playoff team in the AFC. I think when you look at the AFC, it's so many teams that's more talented than the Patriots are. In the AFC West alone, I still believe that all four of those teams are better than the Patriots. The Chiefs, the Chargers, the Broncos, and the Raiders are all better than the Patriots. In the AFC East, the Bills and Dolphins are better than the Patriots. In the North, the Ravens, Bengals, and Browns are better than the Patriots. But without Deshaun Watson, that's debatable. That's, that's debatable whether or not the Browns are better than the Patriots. And then you look at the AFC South. That division is awful to me. I don't really like that division. AFC South, all those teams aren't very good. The best team in that division probably is the Jacksonville Jaguars. But I don't think the Patriots are a playoff team, even with Mac Jones. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Make sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram with these guys. No sports. Let's transition to Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady. In Tampa Bay, the Chiefs beat the Buccaneers 41 
to 31. For the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, he went 23 of 27. He had 249 passing yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Travis Kelsey, he had nine receptions, 92 receiving yards, one touchdown. For the Bucks, Tom Brady went 39 of 52. He threw for 385 passing yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Mike Evans, he returned back to the field. He had eight receptions, 103 receiving yards, two touchdowns. When you talk about this matchup between the Chiefs and Bucks, I must admit, I was very impressed with Patrick Mahomes and this Kansas City Chiefs offense because coming into this matchup, I told everyone how elite that Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense is because in the first three games of the season, the Buccaneers going up against the Cowboys, Saints, and Packers, that Bucks defense held those three teams combined to 27 points. In this game, the Kansas City Chiefs had 28 points at halftime, 41 points total for the game, and Patrick Mahomes was sensational. Last week against the Packers, the Packers offense, they scored 14 points in the first half against that Buccaneers defense. Packers did score another point in that game. The Bucs defense completely shut out the Packers offense in the second half of the game last week. And then in this matchup, in the first quarter alone, the Chiefs had 14 points. I can't say enough about Patrick Mahomes. So far this season, Patrick Mahomes has been the best quarterback in the NFL. Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson both have been a little bit inconsistent. And I thought in week four, Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen both struggled at various times in their matchup in Baltimore. That was, that was what I was looking forward to in that game the most. Watching Josh Allen versus Lamar Jackson, two MVP candidates face off against one another. But so far this season, the NFL MVP has been Patrick Mahomes. For the season, Patrick Mahomes, he has 11 touchdowns, two interceptions, 1,106 passing yards. He's completing 66% of his passes. And watching Patrick Mahomes on Sunday night, it looked like a video game. That's how dominant Patrick Mahomes was. I saw Patrick Mahomes running side to side, making plays with his legs. The one touchdown throw that he had to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, he shakes off Devin White, flings the football to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He was sensational. And he showed why he is universally recognized as the best quarterback in the NFL. Mahomes was sensational in this game. And I thought, despite Tom Brady statistically having great numbers in this game, I thought Patrick Mahomes stole the show in Tampa on Sunday night under the bright lights on Sunday night football. That's how great Patrick Mahomes was. And I think so far this season, I think this Chiefs offense is playing at a high level. In week one, they put up 44 points against the Cardinals. Week two, they put up 27 against the Chargers. Now, week three, they did have a letdown in the second half in Indianapolis. They only scored 17 points in that game, zero points in the second half. But in this game, going up against the best defense in the NFL, the Chiefs' offense was sensational. 
And we've been talking about how for the Packers, Aaron Rodgers, how he misses Devontae Adams. I can't tell whether or not Tyreek Hill is on the field for the Chiefs because the Chiefs offense is still playing at an elite level without Tyreek Hill. Patrick Mahomes has played better without Tyreek Hill than Aaron Rodgers has played without Devontae Adams. Now, Patrick Mahomes does have the luxury of throwing the football to an elite tight end in Travis Kelsey. And he also has an elite head coach in Andy Reid. But you still can't take away from the job that Patrick Mahomes has done so far this year. They got new receivers like Marquez Valdez-Scanlon, like Juju Smith-Schuster. And I believe that as the season goes along, Smith-Schuster and Valdez-Scanlon, they're going to develop chemistry with Patrick Mahomes. And the Chiefs offense is going to take their play to another level. But what was more impressive to me in this game, even more so than Patrick Mahomes, was Andy Reid's patience. I thought Ty Bowles and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, defensively, their game plan was to force the Chiefs to run the football and see if they're going to remain patient throughout the course of the game. And they did just that. Look at this game. Overall for the Chiefs, they had 189 rushing yards in this game. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, he had 19 carries for 92 rushing yards, one touchdown. Isaiah Pecco, he had 11 carries, 63 rushing yards, averaging close to six yards per carry. That is where the game was won for the Chiefs, in my opinion, because Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, they remained patient. They took exactly what Ty Bowles and the Buccaneers defense was willing to give them. In years previous, we've seen the Chiefs struggle when teams decide to say, we're not going to allow Patrick Mahomes to beat us. We're going to force you to have to run the football. And we've seen the Chiefs struggle in previous years remaining patient. And this particular game, they did exactly the opposite compared to what they've done in previous years. They remained patient and they ran the football. If the Chiefs can establish a consistent rushing attack, you can forget about stopping this Chiefs offense because they're going to be too dynamic and they're going to be playing complementary football. We already know how dynamic the offense is with Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. You add in an elite rushing attack with Edwards Hilaire, who's more than capable at being in every down back who you can rely on. And then you got Pecco as well at running back. That This Chiefs offense will be unstoppable. They'll be unstoppable even without Tyreek Hill. I can't even tell that Tyreek Hill isn't playing anymore because they're still putting up a lot of points and a lot of yards. In this game, the Chiefs offense had 417 total yards, 228 passing yards, 189 rushing yards. On third down, they were 12 of 17. 
and they dominated time of possession, 38 to 21. So great performance by the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs, they had a flashback to their Super Bowl performance against the Buccaneers on the same exact field two years ago. And I think Patrick Mahomes, he played with a chip on his shoulder Sunday night, and he wanted to prove that even without Tyreek Hill, this Chiefs offense is still the best offense in the NFL. They were sensational. Now, when it comes to Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I believe that Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to be just fine. I think in this game, he got back Mike Evans, and Mike Evans had a sensational game, eight receptions, 103 receiving yards, two touchdowns. Chris Godwin had seven receptions, 59 receiving yards. He's trying to work his way back from his injury. You got Leonard Fournette as well, who had seven receptions, 57 receiving yards. The problem in this game was because the Chiefs scored so many points, the Buccaneers' rushing attack was irrelevant. You couldn't run the football because you were down so many points on the scoreboard. At halftime in this game, the Chiefs were beating the Buccaneers 28-17, and their offense was flowing at such an elite level that Tom Brady and the Buccaneers' offense, they knew they had to pass the football to get back into the game, which means you're one-dimensional. You're a one-dimensional football team when you have to drop Tom Brady back to pass 52 times in a game. And that Chiefs defense is not elite. They're not even close to being elite defense. But I believe you help the defense out no matter who you're playing against. If they're playing with the lead and you're dropping your quarterback back to pass over 50 times a game, that is advantage defense no matter how you look at it. Despite the Buccaneers still having 376 total yards of offense, the Chiefs defense had the advantage because they knew what was coming. They knew that they didn't have to have to worry about the running game because the running game was irrelevant because they were down so many points. So Buccaneers, I still think they're a good football team. I think they are a contender in the NFC. I think they are the best team in the NFC South overall. And I've said it before, I think this Buccaneers team, top to bottom, is the most complete team in the NFL. In the most complete team in the NFL. Despite losing this game, I still believe that the, that the Buccaneers are Super Bowl contender. They really, really are. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys Instagram at these guys know sports. So when you talk about whether or not the Bucs should be concerned after two straight losses to Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, I don't believe they should Bucks fans should be concerned. I think the Bucs are going to be just fine and the NFC, and we know they're going to win the NFC South. Saints are a mess. They only one and three on the season. Jameis Winston is dealing with an injury. I'm going to talk about Baker Mayfield here in a minute, but the Carolina Panthers, they aren't very good. And the Atlanta Falcons, they have some promise, but they're not going to be able to beat the Buccaneers. So the Buccaneers are going to win the NFC South. The Buccaneers are going to be a top three seed in the NFC. And they'll be just fine. Tom Brady is still a quarterback that you can win a Super Bowl with. 
and you can win because of Tom Brady, not in spite of Tom Brady. But what's so great about this Buccaneers team is defensively, they have the best defense in the NFL. Even though they gave up 41 points to the Chiefs, this Buccaneers defense is the best in the NFL. Up front, you got Vita Vea. You got William Golston as well up front. And Shaquille Barrett as a pass rusher. At linebacker, you got Devin White. You got Levante David. In your secondary, you got Antoine Whitfield. You got Jamel Dean. So the Buccaneers defensively is the best team in the NFL. And they overall are a team that can still compete for a Super Bowl in the NFC. They just ran into Patrick Mahomes in week four, but they'll be fine moving forward. Let's transition to my wiser last segment of the day, reigning NBA sixth man of the year, Tyler Hero, agreed to a four-year, $130 million contract extension with the Miami Heat. His agents told ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski the deal includes $120 million guaranteed with up to $10 million in incentives, a source told the Miami Herald, the sharpshooter averaged career highs of 20.7 points per game, four assists per game, and 66 games played last season. So is it wise or lies to say the Miami Heat made the right decision paying Tyler Hero? I think that is wise because I think Tyler Hero is a reliable sixth man for the Miami Heat. And I think he is a proven scorer in the NBA so far in his young career. He's averaged 17 points per game on 44% shooting. He's an underrated passer. He's averaged three assists per game in his career. And I think that Eric Spoelstra and Pat Riley can utilize Tyler Hero in their rotations. And there are some games where you could finish with Tyler Hero. I always say it's not always about who starts. It's about who finishes games. Look at Manu Ginobili in a role that he played on those Spurs championship teams. Manu Ginobili wasn't a starter, but Manu Ginobili finished games with Tony Parker and Tim Duncan. So Greg Popovich knew how to utilize Manu Ginobili, and I believe that Spolster knows how to utilize Tyler Hero as well. I think this was the right decision for the Miami Heat to pay Tyler Hero. Josh Jacobs, Ran for 144 total yards and two touchdowns. I mean, Roberson returned the fumble 68 yards for a score. And the Las Vegas Raiders won their first game of the season, 32 to 23 over the Denver Broncos on Sunday. After opening their first season under head coach Josh McDaniels by losing three straight one-score games, the Raiders managed to do enough on the ground with their biggest rushing game in six years. And on defense, they held off Russell Wilson and the Broncos. So is it wise or last to say the Raiders and Josh McDaniels should depend more on their running game to have a rhythm in the offense? I think that is wise because you look at the weapons that the Raiders have. They got Devontae Adams. They got Hunter Renfro. They got Darren Waller. They got weapons at their skill position players. If you can establish the running game with Josh Jacobs and that can open up the passing game for Derek Carr to deliver the football to his receivers because the opposing defenses have to respect the running game. Once you put nine or ten in the box, you get one-on-one coverage 
with Hunter Riffro and Devontae Adams. So I think it is a recipe for success for the Raiders to involve Josh Jacobs in the offense and establish the running game. So I think that's wise to say that the Raiders and Josh McDaniels should depend more on their running game to have the offense in a rhythm. That is a wise thing to do for the Raiders. Although the Lakers' big three of LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook struggled to mesh last season, new head coach Darvin Helm believes he can help the trio figure it out this campaign. This is Darvin Helm. I quote, I trust all three of those guys, Pam said Saturday, according to ESPN's David Miniman. While LA's big three only played 21 games together last season due to injury problems, the Lakers went just 11 and 10 in those contests. However, Ham is promising some tweaks in an attempt to maximize the stars' talents. So is it wise or last to say Darvin Ham can maximize the potential of the Lakers' big three? I actually believe that is wise as well. Whatever potential the Lakers' big three have, Darvin Ham will maximize it. But the problem for the Lakers is staying healthy. And last year they had issues with staying healthy. We talked all year long about Russell Westbrook and his struggles. But the biggest reason why the Lakers struggled last year wasn't because of Russell Westbrook. It was because of LeBron James and Anthony Davis injuries. And best ability is availability. And in order for the Lakers to be true championship contenders, they need LeBron James and Anthony Davis both healthy, especially LeBron James. You need LeBron James, even though he's getting older, you need LeBron James in the lineup. And then Anthony Davis is supposed to have the torch passed to him. And he has to be on the floor to be effective. So I think Darvin Ham can maximize this Lakers big three and get the best out of the big three of Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. But AD got to be healthy. I know LeBron James, when it matters the most, will show up. I know he'll show up and be healthy. The question is about whether or not Anthony Davis will. We know LeBron and Russ will. Will Anthony Davis show up and be healthy? Let's transition to Carolina as the Arizona Cardinals beat the Carolina Panthers 26-16 to for the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray went 23 of 32. He had 207 passing yards, two touchdowns, one interception, had a rushing touchdown as well. Becker Mayfield struggled again. He went 22 of 36. He had 197 passing yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. So when it comes to Baker Mayfield and how he's been so far this season, these are Baker Mayfield's numbers so far this season. He has four touchdowns, three interceptions, 747 passing yards, He's completed 55% of his passes. I think it's safe to say that Baker Mayfield has been awful. He's been terrible so far this season. He hasn't even completed 60% of his passes yet. And I believe we are looking at a time in Baker Mayfield's career where his career could be in jeopardy. And I'm explaining why. So far, in his career, Baker Mayfield has 96 total touchdowns, 59 interceptions, 
He got 14,872 passing yards. He's completed 62% of his passes so far in his career. But in Cleveland, he wasn't able to get along with multiple coaches that was in Cleveland who coached him. He didn't get along with Hugh Jackson. He had issues getting along with and getting on the same page as Freddie Kitchens. And he also had Hugh Jackson fired, Freddie Kitchens fired, and Kevin, Kevin Stefanski, he had his best season under Kevin Stefanski. But in Baker Mayfield's career overall, Baker Mayfield has had an issue at being a franchise quarterback. In 2020, he had his best season. He had 26 touchdowns, eight interceptions, and over 3,500 passing yards. But the problem was Baker Mayfield and his inability to connect with teammates. And if you produce at a high level, then teams will have a higher tolerance for your behavior. High production equals high tolerance. But if you don't produce and your production is at a low then teams are going to have a low tolerance for your behavior. And we saw multiple times in Cleveland where Baker Mayfield, for whatever reason, he wasn't a great leader. And he also was not the quarterback that was going to take the Cleveland Browns over the top and be a Super Bowl contender. This is why we saw the Cleveland Browns make the trade that they made for Deshaun Watson. Baker Mayfield is at a point in his career where if he doesn't get his act together in Carolina, his career could be in jeopardy because it didn't work out in Cleveland. He got multiple head coaches fired. Hugh Jackson, Freddie Kitchens, multiple head coaches got fired under Baker Mayfield's watch. Once Freddie Kitchens left Cleveland, in came Kevin Stefanski. And Kevin Stefanski also could not get Baker Mayfield to elevate his game to take the Cleveland Browns on a deep playoff run. So I think we had a point in Baker Mayfield's career where if he doesn't get his act together, this could be his last chance to be a starter in the NFL. And so far this season, he's gotten off to an awful start. Now, it's not, not all on Baker Mayfield. Some of this is on Matt Rule because – Matt Rule so far, since he's been the head coach in Carolina, he hasn't coached very well. And I know that Panthers fans are getting impatient with Matt Rule. For Matt Rule so far in his career, Matt Rule is 11-26, so he's won 30% of his games. So I know that he's on the hot seat. And right now, Panthers are not a playoff team. Coming into the season, I heard so many experts who said that's a possibility that maybe the Panthers can squeeze into the playoffs as a wild card. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen because they have been awful to start the season. In week one, they lost to the Cleveland Browns. In week two, they did compete with the Giants, but they lost to the Giants 19-16. to Week three, they beat the Saints, but the Saints have been awful this year. They beat the Saints 22-14 to in Carolina. And then in week four in Carolina, 
you lose to Kyler Murray in the Arizona Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals are not juggernauts. They're not very good. And Baker Mayfield couldn't even throw for 200 passing yards in this game. And leadership has been an issue for Baker Mayfield so far in his career. And then you listen to you listen to Baker Mayfield in the post-game press conference. I didn't like the fact that he talked like he knew what was going on, like this wasn't foreign territory for him. Like he's talking like, he, and he's, to me, he was talking in an arrogant way. And you should be a little bit more humble because if you don't get your act together, this could be your last chance at being a starter in the NFL, Baker. Why are you up there in the press conference talking like you have it all together and you're some established quarterback in the NFL? You're not established like a big, like a Josh Allen or a Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow is. You're not established? Who the hell do you think you are? I hate the fact that he got up there and was talking in an arrogant way. You need to be humble and have some humility and understand where you are at this moment in your career. Your career is in jeopardy, bro. And if you don't get your act together, it's a great chance that Matt Rule might elect to go to Sam Darnold once he's healthy. If Sam Darnold is healthy in December, maybe Matt Rule is going to insert Darnold into the starting lineup if the Panthers are still struggling because he wants to figure out a way to win some games to try to convince the owner that he should get another year to coach the Carolina Panthers. So he's trying to do whatever it takes. Matt Rule is coaching for his job. I didn't like the fact that Baker Mayfield got up there and he spoke in an arrogant manner. You got to be humble and understand where you are in your career. It didn't work out in Cleveland. They traded you away to Carolina. They were happy to trade Baker Mayfield to the Carolina Panthers. They moved on from Baker Mayfield, and now Baker Mayfield is not working out in Carolina. And I think his career could be in jeopardy because when you're not a humble player, and you have this arrogance about you, teams don't want you a part of their franchise. And that's the issue that Baker Mayfield has right now. He has to be a little bit more humble. He's not, you're, you're not very good, Baker. You're not the kind of quarterback that teams win because of. Teams win in spite of Baker Mayfield. He's no better than a Jimmy Garoppolo or a Ryan Tannehill. At his best, Baker Mayfield needs pieces around him in order to be successful. He can't carry a team like a Justin Herbert, like a Joe Burrow, like a Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. That's not who Baker Mayfield is. It's time for Baker Mayfield to look into the mirror the same way I'm looking into this camera and recognize who he is. He is not the kind of quarterback that can carry a team. Don't get up to the podium and act arrogant. You need your teammates. You need this fan base in Carolina to embrace you being the starting quarterback before they give up on the Panthers and no longer want to support the Carolina Panthers this season once they've lost enough games and they're not even in playoff contention. So Baker Mayfield needs to humble himself and understand where he is at at this point in his career. This could be his last opportunity to be a starter in the NFL. He's not an elite quarterback. 
Everybody go and follow the Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore weights. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And go and follow the Wise Guys Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Real quick, I want to talk about the Arizona Cardinals real quick before I go to the next topic. They're 2-2 two and two on the season. I don't believe the Arizona Cardinals are a playoff team in the NFC. I believe when you look at the NFC West, the LA Rams and the 49ers are the two best teams in the NFC West. In the NFC North, I think it's the Green Bay Packers and Minnesota Vikings. And then in the NFC East, the Philadelphia Eagles, they are undefeated. The Dallas Cowboys are 3-1. and one. All of those teams that I just named, they are all better than the Arizona Cardinals this year. I don't think the Arizona Cardinals are a playoff team in the NFC. And I think them not having DeAndre Hopkins is hurting them right now. I know they're 2-2 two two on the season, but them not having DeAndre Hopkins – I believe is the reason why they're two and two. I don't think their team is good overall this year. I said they were going to take a step back. I don't like Cliff Kingsbury as a head coach. I still got my questions about him. Kyler Murray for the season, he got five touchdowns, two interceptions, 991 passing yards. He's completed 65% of his passes. I like Kyler Murray as a young quarterback. I think he's one of the best young quarterbacks that we have in the NFL. He's a borderline top 10 quarterback in the NFL. But the Arizona Cardinals are not a playoff team in the NFC. I don't think that they can compete against those other teams, the likes of the Packers, the Vikings, the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Rams, the 49ers, Buccaneers. They're not in that class. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys Instagram with these guys. No sports. Let's transition. To the last topic of the night, it is involving the Miami Dolphins and Tua Tagovailoa. So the NFL PA exercised its right to dismiss the unaffiliated neo-trauma consultant who was involved in Tua Tagovailoa entering the game against the Buffalo Bills in week three and then having Tua play in week four against the Cincinnati Bengals. The doctor who evaluated Tua was fired. So this situation involved the Miami Dolphins. It smells for many, many reasons. Number one, I wish Mike McDaniel would stop trying to convince us that Tua had some type of back injury. I'm not going to assassin, assassinate Mike McDaniel's character. I'm not going to say that Mike McDaniel doesn't care about his players. I'm not going to say that Mike McDaniel is a coach who is out for himself and only wants his best players available and doesn't care about their health. I'm not going to go that far. I'm not going to assassinate his character and criticize him overall. I'm going to say this. I don't like the fact that he kept trying to sell us on the idea that Tua has some type of back injury because Here's the thing. We saw when Tua went down in the game against the Buffalo Bills, everyone watching knew that Tua was concussed. Stop trying to sell us on this idea that Tua was dealing with a back injury. Stop trying to get us to believe that it was a back injury when you knew all along that it was a concussion. But you wanted to win 
the game against the Buffalo Bills and the game against the Cincinnati Bengals, Mike McDaniel. So you know that two attack of Iloa gives you the best opportunity to win as your starting quarterback. So you was good with whatever the doctor said in the evaluation. And obviously the doctor got this wrong because everyone knew watching the game last Sunday in Miami, everyone knew that Tua had a concussion. He was staggering when he tried to get up to his feet. He fell back down again. And everyone knew that Tua had a concussion. I had Yanni Caracas. He's a reporter down there in Miami who covers the Miami Dolphins. He was at the game when the Dolphins played the Buffalo Bills, and he was in the press box along with other reporters, and he talked about on the show last week how surprised all the reporters in the press box were when they saw Tua Tagovailoa come back out on the field in the second half against the Buffalo Bills. He should have not even came back in that game. And then you have the audacity to put Tua back on the field four days later, and he wasn't even ready because he still had a previous concussion from the previous week. So, Mike McDaniel, stop trying to sell us on this belief that Tua had a back injury. I'm not buying it, bro. Stop it. You want to put your team in a position to win football games. So, whatever that doctor said, you were going to roll with because you knew that Tua gave you a better opportunity to win than Teddy Bridgewater did. I'm not saying that Mike McDaniel doesn't care about Tua Tagovailoa. I'm not saying that Mike McDaniel doesn't care about his players overall and their health and safety. What I am saying is it doesn't take a doctor to have to evaluate Tua to know if he has a concussion or not. I'm not a doctor and I knew watching the game in week three against the Buffalo Bills, I knew Tua was concussed. I ain't a damn doctor. I ain't never went and studied to be a doctor. But I knew Tua Tagovailoa was concussed. And I knew that he shouldn't have even played Thursday night against the Cincinnati Bengals. Stop defending the situation and take some accountability. Even if that doctor approved Tua to come back on the field and clear him to play as a head coach, you know that your player is concussed. And sometimes as a head coach, as an organization, you have to protect the player from themselves. You know they're going to want to play no matter the circumstances. They are going to want to play no matter how injured they are. And it was clear to everyone watching that Tua Tagovailoa had a concussion in the game against the Buffalo Bills. And he should have never cleared concussion protocols to even be able to play in the Thursday night game against the Bengals. So I know the doctor got fired who was involved in this, but it's enough blame to go all around. I'm not going to let Mike McDaniel off the hook. 
because you are a head coach. You know that Tua was concussed. But again, you prioritized winning over Tua's health. Again, I'm not going to say that Mike McDaniel doesn't care about Tua's health. I believe he cares about Tua. I believe he cares about his players. He also cares about winning football games. And he knows he has to establish a culture in Miami that's going to be a contender in the AFC for future seasons to come. So I believe that Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins organization, they all knew Tua was concussed. And they were just praying that nothing bad happened and they could get through the games against the Bills and the Bengals without anything happening. So we wouldn't be questioning them having Tua available to play to begin with. That's what it was all about. They knew he was concussed. And again, I'm not going to say that McDaniel don't care about his players. What I am going to say is McDaniel cares about winning. And in the NFL, you don't have a major margin for error as a head coach. And he wants to establish a culture down there in Miami. He wants to prove to the Buffalo Bills, we true contenders in the AFC East. He wanted to prove to the Cincinnati Bengals in week four, we true contenders in the AFC overall. And he knows in order to be contenders in the AFC and be at their best, they need their starting quarterback to attack Iloa to be on the field. And so I believe McDaniel prioritized winning football games more than he prioritized to his health in this particular situation. He'll learn from it. He'll improve. And I bet it won't happen again. But we all knew watching that game on Sunday in week three that Tua was concussed. And it didn't take a doctor to notice that. I don't give a damn talking about who he was cleared. We got, we got to lose, use common sense at some point. We got to use common sense. And common sense tells everyone watching that brother was concussed. Now, thank God that once Tua got injured in the game against the Bengals, he had movements in all of his extremities. He went to the University of Cincinnati. He was released that same night. He did fly back with the Miami Dolphins. And Mike McDaniel already announced that Tua will be out for the week five game against the Jets. And what's crazy is, even though the Dolphins aren't as good with Bridgewater as they are with Tua, Bridgewater can win football games. I thought Bridgewater did an outstanding job Thursday against the Bengals coming in and not having all the reps with the first-team offense. I thought Bridgewater did a hell of a job. Bridgewater went 14 of 23, 193 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception. He was on the wrong page with his tight end, Jaseki, on the tight end. So they weren't on the same page on that interception by Bridgewater. But I think this Dolphins team can definitely win a few football games in the absence of Tua Tagovailoa. Week five, they got the Jets. That's a game they should win. Week six, they're home against the Vikings. That's a toss-up. But I think they can beat the Vikings with Teddy Bridgewater. Week seven, they play the Steelers. That's a win. Week eight, they got the Lions in Detroit. That's a win for the Dolphins. And then week nine, they got the Bears in Chicago. They can win that game. Week 10, they're home against the Browns. So over the next six weeks before the battle week, Jets, Vikings, Steelers, Lions, Bears, Browns, 
I think the Dolphins can go, let's just say two is out for five games. I'm just, just hypothetically throwing it out there. Let's say he's out for five games. I think the Dolphins can go four and one. They'll beat the Jets, Steelers, Lions, and Bears, and they might lose to the Vikings, but that's a toss-up. That's a game they for sure could win. So I think in the absence of Tua Tagovailoa, I think the Dolphins will be just fine. And I do believe that they are contenders in the AFC East. I'm not going to pick them to beat the Buffalo Bills in the AFC East just yet, but they are contenders in the AFC East, and they are contenders overall in the AFC. Now, before I get out of here, I do want to talk about the NFL power rankings, top 10 in the NFL so far this season. Number 10, Cincinnati Bengals. Number nine, Baltimore Ravens. Number eight, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Number seven, the Minnesota Vikings. Number six, the Los Angeles Rams. Number five, the Miami Dolphins. Number four, the Green Bay Packers. Number three, the Philadelphia Eagles. Number two, the Buffalo Bills. And number one, the Kansas City Chiefs. Everyone's talking about the Chiefs being number one and the Eagles being number three. Despite the Eagles being 4-0, the Chiefs are a better football team than the Eagles are. If the Chiefs and Eagles play on a neutral field right now, the Chiefs would beat the Eagles. And then so far this season, the Eagles, they haven't beaten the playoff team from last year yet. In week one, they beat the Lions. Week two, they beat the Vikings. Week three, they beat the Commanders. Week four, they beat the Jaguars. So the Eagles, they haven't even beaten the playoff team from last year yet this season. So I do believe that the Chiefs are the best team right now in the NFL, and they should be number one on the NFL power rankings, even over the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, you can make an argument for the Eagles being over the Buffalo Bills because the Eagles are undefeated. But even the Buffalo Bills have played against stiffer competition than the Eagles have in their first four games. Buffalo Bills, they played the Miami Dolphins in week three. In week four, they played the Baltimore Ravens. So the Bills have went up against stiffer competition than the Eagles have. Also, I don't understand how the LA Rams are number six. Right now, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Baltimore Ravens, I would take over the LA Rams. I wasn't impressed with the Rams and their two wins this year over the Falcons and over the Cardinals. I wasn't impressed with those two wins. And I thought that their two losses said more than their two wins. Their two losses against the Bills and the 49ers said more than their wins against the Falcons and the Cardinals. Not impressed with the Rams so far this season. Miami at number five, Packers at number four. You can make an argument for the Dolphins to be over the Packers because the Dolphins were undefeated before their matchup against the Bengals. It was a short week, and they were competitive in that game. And for the Packers, the Packers beat a third-string quarterback. They beat Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, and they didn't have the receivers in that game. And then they beat the Bears in week two. Bears are awful. And they got blew out by the Vikings. So those are some of my questions about the, the, the my, my issues with the NFL power rankings. Eagles should not be number one. Chiefs are the best team right now in the NFL. I think the Bills are properly ranked at number two over the Philadelphia Eagles. And you can make an argument for the Dolphins to be over the Green Bay Packers. But the Browns should not be number six. I think the Buccaneers and the Ravens, and you can make an argument for the Vikings being better right now than the L.A. Rams are. 
Everybody go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore Wex. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. We should follow Wise Guys Christian Grimm. These guys know sports. So Thursday, I'll be on doing my NFL Week 5 Wise Picks. Join the show. Call into the show, 513-203-8655, 513-203-8655. I'll be on doing my NFL Week 5 Wise Picks. I will also preview the Indianapolis Colts versus Denver Broncos matchup Thursday night in Denver, in the Mile High City. So it's going to be a big-time matchup between two AFC teams Thursday night in Denver. I think Jonathan Taylor, his status for that game is unclear. He's dealing with an ankle injury, so we'll get a chance to find out if the if the coach will have Jonathan Taylor. Everybody go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And should follow Wise Guys on Instagram with these guys, no sports. I'm Trey Larkin signing off. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.